So thank you for tuning in today for another episode of Safety Talks. I would like to welcome CJ Golay, the CEO and Eric St. John, Vice President of Sales from Rocky Mountain Industrial Supply. It's a family-owned business that CJ is going to share a bit more about in just a moment. So today we're going to look at rethinking our worker protection products. Do we think about our PPE in the right light? Or maybe it's time that we blow up that concept of PPE? That's right, that's what we're gonna be diving into today. In our discussion, we're going to take another look at where PPE is in our safety systems. But before we get into the discussion, those beefy parts, let's learn a little bit about our new guests, CJ and Eric. Welcome, CJ and Eric. Thank you. CJ, why don't you kick it off and share a little bit with us about how you got into the business? Sure. So we got into the business back in 2007 is when RMI became into inception. Um, my dad worked for a large corporation, DXP, for 25 plus years. And basically he wanted to go out on his own and so in 2007, we purchased a small industrial house called Underwood Supply and made that into RMI. So um, I worked from basically every job here from the warehouse and deliveries into customer service, into outside sales, um, into you know under management, under, under Jim, who was my dad. And, and yeah, so that's where, how we got to, to be here today. And Shelly, my mom, she retired uh, about a year or so ago. And my dad actually passed away about five years ago um, with brain cancer. So we are continuing the legend and continuing his legacy and really trying to continue to keep people safe and, you know, ending death in the workplace. So Eric, can you share with us a little bit about how did you get into the Rocky Mountain Industrial Supply family? Sure. So I started with a company called Basic Energy Services in about 2004 as a roustabout foreman and worked for them. And then they transferred me to Casper, Wyoming. And I worked there as a safety coordinator and and for... I was seven or eight years, I believe. And then in 2011, CJ's dad, Jim, approached me and asked if I wanted to come to work for Rocky Mountain Industrial Supply. And so here I am. I've been here. I started with them as a salesperson and covered a large territory. And then now I'm their VP of sales. Great. Well, welcome to the show. I'm very excited about the conversation that we're going to be diving into. And it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, taking it, take moving on to the next generation and, and looking forward. And with that spirit, I really wanted to, to kind of have our conversation about, you know, looking at our modern society and um, have have we really moved so that PPE is no longer just a hard hats and safety goggles? In my experience, there's so much more to PPE than just these um, the, the gloves and the typical boots that people talk about. 
And in our pre-conversation, we were really diving into the fact that um, professional protective wear is now drilled down so much that it's actually very relevant to the specific worker's job or tasks and actually in the worker environment too. And so I wanted to kind of break that open to see what you guys are thinking about that because PPE is your business. Right. So this is Eric and, and it's PPE is such a, there's so much more to it now than there ever has been. There's so much more technology to back up the science of personal protective equipment. So there's so much more training that's available to us as professionals and as to even just as salespeople and in supplying that stuff to, to our end users. And then you said about, talked about how much it's changed over the years. Hard, look at a hard hat. A hard hat hasn't changed in how many ever years it's been. It's, it's really hard. Hard hats are one of those things and gloves and safety toe boots. Everything around the industry has changed, but the idea of what those are for has not, right? So like a hard hat, it's been the same with it has a shell and it has a suspension. And only until recently have we seen some of the manufacturers come out with a better option. And, and that's, and, and it's, and a lot of that's because of the technology that we have at our fingertips, the, the data and the, the analytics that we can see of how people are getting hurt and people finally taking advantage of that and making some changes. You know, in our pre-discussion, we actually talked about the fact that um, PPE is on our hierarchy controls. And the hierarchy controls was created way, way, way back, long, long time ago. And it's all, I think it was actually back in the 1950s. And it's almost like PPE, the last thing on the, the uh, hierarchy uh, triangle at the end there, was something that everybody uses in order to, to apply to their health and safety systems. But in fact, in the hierarchy control, it's kind of been the last thing that people look at considering and reflecting on revising um, its placement in the hierarchy. And so we had a really good conversation around that because, as you pointed out, there is so much more to PPE than just the hard hats and gloves. And I wanted to kind of open up that conversation about its placement do you think it's placed correctly on the hierarchy controls? I think it should be wherever it's the most effective. So when you put PPE as the least effective on there, kind of you're saying it's your last line of defense. You can't figure it out. So you're going to put a cut level glove on somebody and hope they don't cut their fingers off or whatever that, whatever the case may be. So instead of, with the, with the quality of, of data we have now and the quality of PPE that's out there and the different ways we can use it, mm -hmm. I think that, it, in my opinion, it needs to be used where it's the most effective. And obviously, you want to try to eliminate, el eliminate the hazards and use your engineering controls and those kind of things. But sometimes that PPE maybe would fit better in between engineering and engineering or administrative controls. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's again, it's just, we have so much more data and so much technology in that stuff now that we can use that as an engineering control. 
So looking at PPE as part of the engineering control, part of the administrative control, that's what you're trying to yep. bring people to down that road. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Because I think you're totally right. It should not be something that's, you know, put on last minute, like, oh, yeah, people are using knives and they're cutting themselves. Let's just give them some cut resistant gloves. There are so many other ways that I think we need to break out and start looking at where else can our protective um, products. I don't even want to use the word personal protective equipment. I want to expand that. Um language usage because there is so much more than just uh personal protection sure this is cj i'll expand on that a little bit too um when you're looking at the administrative controls you know that's about changing the way that people work mm -hmm. and getting to eric's point about technology you know look at gas detection as an example you want to talk about changing the way that people work Look at some of the technology that's been developed in gas detection with, you know, the GPS coordinates of each individual and how the monitors can talk together with each other and be manned down and alert differently about hazards in different areas of the work of the, you know, of the refinery or their workplace and tying into, um, you know, the area monitoring and everything like that. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm chiming in here a little bit too, when you're looking at PPE on the hierarchy of controls is the technology I definitely think allows people to change the way they work with implementing some of the new technology in PPE. And as we're navigating through this discussion, and I'm I'm looking at the hierarchy controls and thinking about, so what other places could we actually be bringing um, the protective products up into the pyramid? You know, if we're looking at substitution, is there a way of leveraging it to help replace the hazard so that um, we're creating at the start, at the beginning, that level of protection to help kind of eliminate and, and mitigate any hazards that might occur. Now I'm starting to think about, are we using the right term? Should we still be calling it phys, uh, personal protective equipment? Or is there another term that we should be developing out for our modern society with all the, the technology and um, access to the resources that we have in our modern day now. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I, I think that the personal protective equipment term is, you said it in the beginning of this, that it, it some, somewhere in the 1950s or whatever the date was, that's when the hierarchy of controls was, was, was developed. And there's, it, it's PPE is too broad of a term to cover all the different, all, all of the different things that can be done with it. And I don't know what that term should be. And, and when you brought up just a minute ago, the point about, well, where else could that fit in there? And CJ, CJ touched on a little bit with the technology and the, and the, the data that you can get from some of it, you, you know, there's badges that you can get to, to, 
to measure decibel levels within your workspace. And it's there's there's all kinds of different things you can do and compile the data into into a maybe you need to substitute a piece of equipment that's too loud. Maybe you need to maybe you need to eliminate a process that is that is too dangerous or it's it's an unsafe work environment because of how hot it is in a processing facility. There's all kinds of different things that you can do with the with the new technology that some of the PPE and and I, I keep calling it that because it's it's what I've called it for how many ever you 10, 20 years now. So it's just, there's so much more to it than there ever has been. And it's not, and it's great because as we, as we, as we progress with these, with the protection that we can provide to employees, as long as they're trained on it. And as long as they do the things they're supposed to be doing, it's an, it, it can be an ever changing and ever changing call it a chart or a, the hierarchy. And that's great because it just means that it, to me, to me, it just means that nobody's, that nobody's stopping trying to make workers safer. CJ, did you have any thoughts you wanted to add on that? I agree with everything that Eric just said completely. I think that we um, obviously are living in a day and age where we're so blessed to have this technology and just like to eric's point some of this technology whether it's some of the gas detection or fall protection or the decibel meters or what have you can give you and give the the you know owner or the engineers and whatnot so much control and so much data over how to engineer more controls or substitute or eliminate and so I feel like depending on what the, what we call PPE actually is, there are so many variables on where that could fit in, like on the hierarchy of controls. Um, now you're talking some of that, it's not gonna be the least effective. It could be one of the most effective actually tools um, when, you, when you really start talking about data. I mean, even just, going back to gas detection and just talking about some of the GPS and the man down. I mean, here where we live and work in Wyoming, you know, a lot of these guys are working out in the boonies where there is not even any cell phone service. So for them to be able to have something installed on their pickup or snowmobile or whatever, and in Bluetoothing or GPSing to their gas detection device, and they go down out in the field, you know, 10 years ago, they, they probably would die. And now that technology has totally changed. So like you said, talk about people working differently. That's, that's just one example of obviously how huge and how life-saving that that can really be with our technology nowadays, which is great. Yeah, it all almost leads me to believe that we're being a little bit lazy by not coming back and, and with what we've developed out so far in our modern society since the 1950s. I mean, we've come light yep. years. Mm -hmm. You know, just look at the telephone itself, that one piece of technology that back in the 1950s, what they were using, it was strapped to a wall. Mm, now yeah. you're carrying it around in your pocket and it's a mini computer. So... Yeah. I'm challenging those thought leaders out there in safety land to to rip this apart a little bit and you know 
use that um, use this opportunity to share with us how do you think that we could be and I I I kind of am getting attached to the whole kind of uh, professional uh, protective products mm-hmm. concept because it it encompasses more than just something you put on yourself like a glove or a boot. Yeah. And I really, you know, in the conversation that I had with you, we really cracked open that um, we've got to move away from just thinking about what can we lay on the worker as some sort of um, invisible protection around them, a bubble, because that is the least effective. How can we move it away so that we're actually leveraging it so that we're thinking about how do we integrate this into the environment? I remember when I, I was working um, and there was a story about somebody who died in a tuna cooker because what happened was they went in there to clean it and somehow the, the, the door was closed and they didn't realize the door closed and they didn't realize somebody was in there. And you can imagine the end to yourself. Mm. But it, it, it made me realize like, well, why wasn't there something that signaled on that person that they were located in a danger zone, a hazard Mm -hmm. zone? Yeah. Lockout tag out or something on the door. Yeah. Yeah. And that would go further up on the hierarchy in, in what I'm looking at. Right. And there's technology on the market now that would prevent that from happening. Exactly. You know, and that's, and that's, go back a little bit about your comment, your comment about being lazy is that I think that this is a kind of a, there's a, there's a positive to all the technology and there's a negative to it. Mm -hmm. Because I think when, you know, and you say, man, these gloves are really, really good. They'll protect our workers. It, and it, I think unconsciously, sometimes people will get a little bit complacent about what they're actually training and what they're teaching to their employees mm-hmm. and the rest of the, the, the rest of the, the controls that they have at their fingertips, as far as the, the eliminating hazards and engineering hazards away. Well, now we've got all this fancy, uh, fancy flame resistant clothing. We've got all these high impact gloves. Well, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that those, those things aren't still there, that the hazards aren't still there. It just means that the technology has come around to help, prevent something in case it happens. It won't make the mm-hmm. hazard go away, which I think if you, if you look at it, if you look back and you look at why were impact gloves invented? Well, cause people kept smashing their fingers, right? Well, they're still doing the same job. It, so it, it's, it lessens the impact of an injury, but it doesn't make the hazard go away. And so I think when it, 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 when you said that it we've become a little lazy, I think we have in some instances. But there's also other instances that I can think of when I've helped customers and they've used the data, they've used all this stuff to take a very scientific approach to how they build their safety program, and it has done them wonders. And and I think you hit it all nail on the head too. Is that is that they took an approach, yep. you know, it, it's strategy. So when you're doing your health and safety system, it's a strategy from, okay, so what are what are the hazards or risks that we've identified in the environment by first of all engaging in those who are actually doing the work, 
and talking with them to understand what is it with what they're using in their own environment, what are the the concerns that they have that they've learned day in, day out, as opposed to imagining what their work might be like and then bringing them things that they look at us and say, where did that come from? I can't use this. And they nicely, right. politely say, thank you very much. And then they they put it in a drawer somewhere mm-hmm. for us to later come and be all up at saying, oh, well, why aren't you using that? I gave that to protect you. And then you have this disconnect because there wasn't the dialogue to really understand that what we gave them wasn't actually going to protect them because it wasn't far enough up by the time that that glove needs to protect them. They're, they're probably already being crushed or injured in an, in a way. So again, looking at, you know, if, if we go back to when the um, when it was actually birthed, the idea of the hierarchy controls, the philosophy actually was to help with controlling exposure to occupational hazards. And in our modern society and the way that we have new technology coming in, those exposures are even larger than life sometimes. Like I'm thinking in mining and some of the stuff that mm-hmm. they're going on there. They didn't have that when that 1950s, when they were st- first thinking about protecting them safety. So that leads me also to the discussion of when we're thinking about our modern society and expanding in the triangle and integrating even modern technology, the two of you were bringing up new modern technology such as wearables. And so I wanted to kind of dive into that because moving into millennium, we need to be thinking about different types of tools and equipment. Yeah, so when CJ was talking about the, some of the devices that we have that in some of the devices that are at our fingertips, you know, there's black line safety has a great monitor out there for remote workers. And for, and when that's what CJ was talking about when we, we have people that they have to go to different well sites way out in the boonies on snowmobiles in the winter to check their well sites. And there's no, there used to be no good way for them to be tracked for anybody to know if they were okay, that sometimes it'd take a satellite phone or what have you. But so with, with that being said that Blackline has a great system for that. And it, there's in with, with the wearable stuff is that there's, there's some different things for inside of refineries that if you're not supposed to enter an area, there's a, there's the industrial scientific has, has these, it's called iAssign. And if you're not, you're not permitted to go into an area, your monitor will let you know you're not supposed to go into an area. And so like we were talking about the incident with uh, tuna cooker, that would, that would have, as long as it's being used correctly, that would help with those things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's definitely a gap still with some of the lone worker stuff, just because there's, the technology hasn't quite caught up to what the real need is, but we're getting there for sure. Absolutely. And even in my own past experience, I can, you know, it's clicking with me 
I, I remember at another store, the um, the manager had actually instructed some people to go up on top of the freezers to clear off some boxes. Mm -hmm. And now instantly as a health and safety professional, I'm thinking, oh no, you know, that's a confined space. That's a crawl space. They shouldn't even be up there. They're not trained for that. As soon as I heard that, and unfortunately it was too late because the 17 year old boy had fallen through the fake ceiling of the deli into um, right where they, they, the, the customer service area of the deli is and hit his head on a slicer, you oh, know, no. but with technology that you're talking about, you know, the, the fact that as soon as they started ascending up to that area, they shouldn't have been, there could have been a ping to say, oh, wait, somebody's going into a danger zone. We got to get them out of there, right? And and that's that's what saves lives is, is catching things before that period of an opportunity for an incident or an accident to happen. And we have the technology that can move us closer to um, gaining that kind of insight and information. Would you agree or disagree on that? Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. You know, there's an instance, I won't say where it was here, but there was uh, talking about some of the fall protection um, for tools, you know, which was a somewhat new thing, not very long ago. Um, and, you know, there was a, you know, a guy say climbing up a, a wind tower and there was a guy on top of the wind tower and they didn't have any fall protection for tools and he dropped his spud wrench and put it through the guy's head. And, you know, what did the company do after that? Well, they obviously implemented fall protection for tools, but they could have done that sooner, mm -hmm. you know, but it was, they didn't want to pay for it. And then, you know, obviously a guy lost his life mm -hmm. to have to make that come to fruition for, for the company. So like you said, doing it before it happens, mm -hmm. doing the right thing. And, and you know, one of the reasons I really enjoy CJ and Eric talking to individuals who are part of the uh, safety network is because you guys do get health and safety education and training. And so when I'm talking with you about these, you get it. And so I just want to do a shout out that if anybody is listening and they want to talk more about how you can be um, looking at the hierarchy controls a little bit differently and putting in that professional protective products, that's what I'm gonna call it from now on, <laughs> to please reach out to the two of you. And I'm gonna put your contact information in the episode because it's really yeah. refreshing to hear people who get it and be able to have that dialogue. And there's a lot of new professionals out there who who need to be um, connecting with individuals like yourself. Yes, you sell products and PPE and everything, but you are so much more as a partner on the team that can help people with these discussions. Sure, yep. Yeah, and that's always been our motto too, is you know we're not necessarily selling people what they want per se. There, there's been a lot of times where you know, customers will come to Eric or, or whatnot, and they think they need this, but once he actually talks through their situation with them, whether it's just Eric or Eric loops in a manufacturer's rep or whatnot, you know, they end up donating that and they need something else. And a lot of times it saved them a lot of money, you know, where they were just going to buy X, but they actually needed 
Z, which costs them a lot less. So we, we're, we're in this business to help people and, and save lives. And, you know, that, that's what it's all about. Now, another area I wanted to talk about and touch on was training. And so where should we be talking about training and or should we be maybe expanding our thinking in this area also to like you were both of you were discussing other methods of training like coaching and mentoring. So I wanted to crack that open. So where does that maybe fit in the hierarchy controls and in our discussion today? Training's got to be one of the most important things that that is done, in my opinion. And you too too often, in fact, it's most often the people that get hurt are the newest people on the job and the people that have been there the longest. And it's it's in it the new people on the job, it's because they don't have proper training and they don't have the job experience. And the other people, the reason that the people that have been there the longest get hurt is because they they grow complacent. And I think you, if, if you adapt the training, whether it's product training, whether it's H2S training, whether it's fall protection training, whatever the training is, you adapt that accordingly to your audience to where you can, you can train the guys that have only been there for 30 days, or you can train the guys that have been there for 30 years. It's, it, they're both equally important, but they don't, you can't train them the same. You, you're, you're talking a different language to somebody that's only been there for 30 days and you then you are the guys that have been there a long time but it's still valuable to bring them training. And we, as we, as a company try to make sure that we don't, we don't want to just be the people that drop off, drop off a gas monitor and walk out the door. We want to make sure people understand why they're wearing it and what the capabilities are. Cause too often they think of a gas monitor or they think of uh, FR clothing or they, what, or, or safety glasses as, I'm wearing this now. I can't get hurt. I'm wearing a gas monitor now. H2S will never hurt me because my gas monitor is going to go off. Well, there's limitations to everything and people need to understand those limitations. So as far as where does it fit into, into where does it fit? I, I, I don't really have an answer for that, but it's very, very important to the overall concept of things. I know from when I was in a, from when I was a safety professional, you training evolved. It evolved from, you just did some on-site tailgate trainings, monthly trainings, and then the behavioral based behavioral based training started to come about, and that changed things about your you're trying to train people, you're trying to have them adapt their behaviors of how they approach the job, instead of just saying instead of just giving them gloves, giving them glasses, and this is why you have to wear it. It, it, so it, it's, it's been evolving for a long time and it's going to continue to evolve how we, how people are trained and how things are done and, and it'll continue to change until people stop getting hurt, which probably will never happen. Yeah. And I mean, to elaborate on that a little bit, um, you know, I, I feel like it comes down to safety culture as well, you know, um, everyone has possibly every end user has a different safety culture and eric and i have been doing this long enough that we've dealt with all different types of safety cultures from the really good ones that are very proactive that really try to get out in front of things and have their eyes and ears open um, to to the ones that are just compliant 
And, you know, compliance isn't enough anymore. And if, if we want to protect these people and, you know, keep people going home safe at night, um, that that's where we obviously struggle and, and where we, you know, do well in talking to, to customers that have a very strong safety culture, um, you know, and, and depending on their safety culture, they might put training in, in you know, personal or professional protective products in different realms of the hierarchy of controls also depending on, on culture and mm-hmm. the culture is all of our jobs, right? I mean, that's why we're doing this right now. It's OSHA's job. It's people like RMI's job. It's the end user's job. It's we really got have to do better with safety culture as well. And, and that's a big reason why RMI is, is developing a, sa- a safety training program so that we can offer that training or whatever training that our, that our customers need, especially training about the products we sell. It's very important for us as a, as a company to make sure that we have people that are properly trained and that can provide the training to our customers about the, about the products we sell them. Because at the end of the day, what good is the product? Mm-hmm. If, what good is the product if the people you're selling it to don't know the limitations of it and don't know the proper use of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing that you brought up before was also uh, looking at different mediums, tools in order to deliver that knowledge sharing and training and coaching. Right. So look at look at what we're doing right now. I mean, you know, I listen to safety podcasts quite a bit, and there's a lot of insight and a lot of a lot of different things there. But there's a lot of different ways now, especially that you can bring training to people. You can, there's, there's Zoom, there's Teams, there's all these different platforms that are ver- fairly interactive that you can train people with. And I hate to give COVID any credit, but it's actually opened people's eyes to how effective some of this can be. And there's, there's any training is better than no training. Mm-hmm. And so is, and, and you can, if you can provide good quality training and good quality information to people and, and capture their interest, you've gained a lot. And it doesn't matter necessarily how you get it there. It's just putting the effort to get it there. I guess what, what comes into my mind there is uh, one of our, one of our reps, one of our rep group agencies that we deal a lot with their motto is making safety fun. And they have done so well with that, you know, and, and just from the end user perspective and so to Eric's point there's a lot of different ways that you can do that but we've all been in training rooms where half of the people are you know in la la land or staring off and you know that that training's not doing obviously some of them um, any good at the moment even if it's very productive and and good training so it's uh it's just one of those things where we really have to uh to Eric's point capture the audience to to get the the proper training uh, through to them, no matter how that's done, whether it's fun or whether that's serious or, you know, whatnot. So. And I think also what you're pointing out is, is don't just use one method. Sure. Spice it up, figure out. Absolutely. Like, are, are you talking to a, a, a group that likes to use what app, WhatsApp, then use WhatsApp. I mean, I know um, some groups are just, phenomenal on WhatsApp. They've just got it going and they put their resources up there 
it's just on fire. It goes so fast. Whereas if you put that in front of another group, they'll be go, oh, no, no, I don't use what apps. So, you know, tuning into for the people that you're the group that you're trying to connect with, what are they comfortable with? Because I found that when I'm talking to Tesla in different places that are really more out of the box thinking, they're very open to using different mediums for different groups of people. So what are your thoughts on that? That's a great point. It's you, you, you have to adapt the delivery according to your audience, right? You can't, you can't go and ask a room full of welders that need some training or need some info about welding gloves to get on a zoom meeting. It's not going to work. Most of them, most of them, they have no interest in doing it. And most of them don't like computers anyway. Right. So those are the people that you have to, you maybe have to schedule a face-to-face meeting with and you just got to go show them. So it's, it's very, you have to let your audience dictate your, your delivery method. I remember the one training session, I was really struggling with having people um, self light the pilot light on the pizza oven. Sounds like a simple thing, but I was really banging my head on this one. And I was actually at a barbecue, a friend's barbecue, and I met somebody who was um, worked at the gas company. And he's like, well, I'll come and I'll talk to them. I was like, you do that? Yeah. So came in and uh, he's a gas technician. And we did our little uh, discussion with him and he started telling them all about the makeup of the gas and how everything works. And they were all staring at him and they were like, that's the best training ever. And they kept him. He was only supposed to be there for 20 minutes and they kept him for over an hour because they were just so thrilled to have this individual from the gas company come in and talk to them. So it's even going as far as you don't even have to be the one delivering the training yourself as the safety person. Right. So we, we find that a lot with manufacturer reps. So we can, we can go in there and talk to her blue in the face about something. And sometimes they, we, we just don't have the same bite as you go with somebody, you send somebody in there and then they have the, they're with, they're representing the company that you're trying to train about. And they have all that firsthand information. They, they know those, they know the gloves or whatever it is. They know what the stitch is. They know what the level of cut it is. They know all these different things because that's what they do every day. So you you put somebody like that in front of a in front of a, a room of people, and it tends to tends to captivate folks. Mm-hmm. Well, and to that point too, I think that you guys have been hitting it on the head um, that people need to know the why, and that's whether it's my five year old kid or an employee or workers, you know. People really need to know the why sometimes behind things for it to sink in and for it to reach a personal space with them on, on why they, they need to do this or why if they don't do this, it'll be good or bad. You know, so I think the why is huge. And I think the why is different to different audiences too, right? So if you said, you sit down and you're sitting in front of a room full of the, the, people that are making the decisions, the safety people, maybe the on-site engineer, maybe whoever it is, they want to know how much is the glove weigh, how much cut protection there is, what's the quality of the fabric, 
all these different very specific items. But if you go to the, the, the people that are doing the work, they want to know maybe three or four different very broad things. What can I do? What can't I do? What, what will this protect me from? And why will it do that? So, it's, so the why can be different depending on your audience also. Very true. No, absolutely. And, and I think you hit it right there is like, what is their why? A lot of times I hear the safety professional giving the safety professional why, oh, we want to make sure that you return safe to work. Oh, you know, all these things. And I've seen it with the workers. They roll their eyes. They're like, I don't know this person. Why would mm -hmm. they care anything about me? But exactly to your point, learn the workers why, because that's their real buy-in. Absolutely. Right. For sure. And I know that we're um, at our time today, and I really thank both of you, CJ and Eric, for joining the discussion and encouraging people to think a little bit more, get out of the box, and and think about like um, when we're integrating per professional protective products and equipment into our safety system, how can we be looking at different ways to start integrating that in? So it's not just at the end is something that we're just giving somebody because, well, that's the last line of defense. How can we actually work it into our strategy for the, the long haul? But I wanted to ask before we go, did you have any last th things that you wanted to really share with our audience? Yeah, I, I, this is something that's very, that has hit home to me for a long time is that employees at the end of the day are the foundation of businesses. And so if businesses take the time and take the resources to invest and develop their people, they build a very strong base. And some of that needs to be the proper training, needs to be the proper equipment, and to listen. That's... The, I've had all kinds of different safety people and I've dealt with all kinds of different safety people. And the ones that get the most respect from everybody in their organization are the ones that have walked the walk and the ones that listen, that are willing to go sit down with somebody at their workstation or willing to go sit down with somebody on the bed of a pickup and say, why? And listen about it. So all this other stuff that we talked about today doesn't necessarily matter unless we listen. Sure. And I totally agree with, with Eric on that point. And I guess I would just close with, you know, challenge yourself, Ch challenge your thinking and challenge yourself. Like we've challenged ourselves and looking at the hierarchy of controls and really looking at your safety culture and really looking at, you know, PPP or whatever you want to call it and not making it always a last line of defense um, and, and really just challenge your, yourself and your company to take a hard, long look at some of this technology and, and uh, just make sure that, you know, you're protecting your people and investing in your people, like Eric said, and take a hard look at your training and it all comes down to culture. And thank you and thank everybody for their time, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate being on. Yeah, it was great. I think it's I think it's awesome. I really do. I think it's I think it is very important that we have conversations about this stuff. Thank you very much. That was an amazing conversation. I really like it when we get into different topics. 
And I do hope that the both of you will join me again on the show. And uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in to Safety Talk. If you wanted to listen to a repeat of the episode, go to safepedia.com and you can find it there on the podcast menu. And if you're looking to connect with CJ or Eric, then you can navigate to that episode page and I'm gonna put all their contact information there so you can talk to them personally. Until next time, stay safe.